Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 60. Isaiah and chapter number 60. We are continuing through our series and probably about the midpoint of our series of the Millennial Kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. That at the end of the time, we're going to have a rapture and then the tribulation. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come down on this earth physically, bodily, and literally. And he is going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. When Jesus Christ comes to rule on this earth, there's going to be a lot of drastic changes that we know to this earth. After all, this is God. This is God in the flesh. That God in his glory is going to be on this earth. And that all of the earth is going to respond to his majesty, to his glory, to his holiness, to his might, to his perfection to everything about Christ. And so this includes that the, that the earth is going to be restored to Garden of Eden conditions. And this segment of the Millennial Kingdom, what we've hit Sunday morning, we explained what was the Garden of Eden like. So therefore, when we understood that God is going to restart to to uh, restart creation to Garden of Eden conditions, we can understand what wonderful world we will live in through nature. On Sunday night, we took time to walk through the book of Isaiah and explain a little bit more about the nature, uh, the natural conditions of the millennial kingdom, meaning... um, How the earth responds, going back to Garden of Eden conditions, uh, and some more things that the Bible speaks about. Tonight, we're still going to go with that same idea of explaining how the Millennial Kingdom is going to be different. But this time, we're going to put our attention a little bit more about the conditions of the Millennial Kingdom, dealing with us as men, as people. How is things going to change in our lives because of the resetting to Garden of Eden conditions because of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Now, once again, we've taken the Bible and we're opening to the book of Isaiah and chapter number 60. And the reason why is because the book of Isaiah speaks quite a bit about the millennial kingdom. It speaks quite a bit about Jesus Christ coming down on this earth to rule and to reign. And the book of Isaiah is just full of millennial kingdom passages. Once again, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah in chapter 60. And if you don't mind, we're going to pick it up in verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse number 14, the word of God says this. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Thou also shalt suck the milk of the Gentiles. Thou shalt suck the breast of the kings. Thou shalt know that I, the Lord, 
am thy Savior and thy Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. And I will make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory." The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteousness, and they shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, and the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation." I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. And if you don't mind, we're going to continue with our idea that we've hit so far this week. And we're going to add to this message with the title, More Conditions of the Millennial Kingdom. More Conditions of the Millennial Kingdom. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's talk to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that we can open up the Bible and we can see what you have clearly written down. That we can discern and detect. That we can explore to see what you have spoken about during this thousand year reign of Christ. I'm asking that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That you would give us an understanding that comes by your Holy Spirit. That we would be able to discern and see what a wonderful place this thousand year reign of Christ will be. And what a great privilege it is that we will get to enjoy it. But at the same time, while we're looking forward to that being in your presence, that it would also affect our life and our living here And now, again, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, if you don't mind, we are going to take time to explore from the Bible and several different passages of the Bible, explaining more conditions of the millennial kingdom. And whereas on Sunday night we talked more about the natural conditions of the millennial kingdom, more of how nature itself responds to God and how nature itself is changed during the millennial kingdom. This time we're going to put our attention more on the social changes. How are things going to be different for mankind? How are things going to be different for us as a society, as a people during the time of the millennial kingdom? And the first thing I'd like to show you from this passage, using this as a, as a base outline, is the first thing I'd like to point out is that it will be a place free of oppression. It will be a place free of oppression. Notice with me in verse number 14 again. Isaiah 60 and verse 14. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves at the soles of thy feet, 
And they shall call thee the city of Israel, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an ex eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Now in the context, God is referring to the Hebrew people. And speaking to the Hebrew people, that they are going to be in the millennial kingdom, no more the world's whipping boy. That all throughout history, the Jewish people have been under attack for one reason or another. That whether it was the Holocaust with Adolf Hitler, trying to look for a final solution in killing 60 million Jews. Whether it was even before that, even in our nation, when Adolf Hitler said, hey... I will be glad to send you these Jewish people. I will send them in luxury liners. And I just, whoever wants them, I'll give them to them. And even our nation said, no thanks, we'll pass. That going back to the 1200s, where you had the plague that went all throughout Europe and decimated one half of the population of Europe, that the Europeans said, guess what? It must be the Jewish people, let's kill them. And if we kill them, the plague will be over. And so all throughout history, you could trace the line where the Jewish people have been the whipping boy. They are the ones that get the blame. They're the ones who have been attacked, whether it's people's economy. You know who, why we have such an economy such as this? It's the Jewish people. You know why the plague has come? It's the Hebrew people. And so in the millennial kingdom, no more are the Jewish people going to be the whipping boys. No more are they going to be oppressed. No more are they going to get picked on. No more are they going to get bullied. But guess what? The rest of the world is going to be that way too. Can you imagine being in a place where people are not naturally mean to each other? You understand, we live in a world where people are hateful and mean to each other. You don't believe me? Go to Facebook and just see a couple posts and then you'll be done. You understand, we live in a nasty world. We live in a world where it's so bad now that if someone disagrees with your point of view, they reduce to name-calling and everything else they could think of. But during the Millennial Kingdom, that will not be commonplace. Could you imagine what a great comfort that would be? What a safety that would be? What an encouragement that would be that you don't have to see all the negativity? You don't have to see all the bullying and the fighting and the yelling. You don't have to see all the disagreements and see how the bad turns it turns into. Wouldn't that be a great place? And what a different place than it is in our world right now. To have a place that would be free of oppression. A place free of oppression. If you don't mind, let's also see something else here. But not only will it be a place free of oppression, but it would also be a place of economic prosperity. It will also be a place of economic prosperity. Notice with me as we continue on in verse number 17. Notice with me in verse number 17. Notice how God uses poetical language to kind of describe economic prosperity during this time. The book of Isaiah, chapter 60, in verse number 17. For brass, which is a type of metal, but it will be turned into gold. It will be as if it was gold. For iron, it will be like it was silver. For wood, it will be like it was brass. For just common stones, it will be like iron. And so here it's using poetical language to kind of describe 
that everyone's going to have prosperity. It's going to be economic prosperity. If you don't mind, hold your finger here. Let's turn a couple chapters ahead in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, and we could see this even described even more. Isaiah 65, and notice with me in verse 21. Isaiah 65 and verse 21, the Bible says this, And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. They shall not build and another inhabit. So here it is, it's talking about that in this place of prosperity, that you could build a house and you don't have to worry about someone else living in it later on. You don't have to worry about living in that house and having it foreclosed. You don't have to worry about going to the house and wondering if you're going to keep up with payments and if it's going to be taken away. Wouldn't that be a comfort that you don't have to worry about that? Notice as it goes on in verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. That means that you don't have to work and someone else get what you've earned. That you get to keep the money. You get to keep the labor that you work for. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That when you worked, that someone else wasn't taking half of your paycheck away. Wouldn't that be encouraging? Notice as it goes on. In verse number 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. And mine elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place where you get to enjoy your work and you don't feel like you have to work to pay the bills? You don't have to work so that way you could go give your money and your labor to someone else who didn't work for it. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that you got to work? And by the way, in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be work. But when you work, you get to enjoy it because you get to enjoy the benefits of your labor and not give it to someone else. You see, in the millennial kingdom, it will be a time of economic prosperity. It'll be a wonderful time. Some of you are definitely looking forward to those days where you don't have to almost get the paycheck and just immediately give it to someone else and hope that you have something left over so you can buy bread. Notice in verse number 23. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and the offspring of with them. So we don't have to labor in vain. We don't have to work and work and work and have nothing to show for it. Why? Because it's going to be a time of economic prosperity. It's going to be a lot different than what it is now. The book of Jeremiah says quite a bit about this. For time's sake, we're not going to explore the passage in Jeremiah. But in Jeremiah, it speaks about the same thing, that it's going to be a place of economic prosperity. Turning back to Isaiah chapter 60, we're explaining again the conditions of the millennial kingdom. And this time we're explaining the conditions dealing with society. Dealing with how the conditions are going to change for us as people, for us as a society. And we've explained that according to the Bible, that it will be a place that is free of oppression. It is a place of economic prosperity. But notice if there's something else that affects us, that in the book of Isaiah chapter 60, notice with me in verse 19. Isaiah 60 and verse 19. The sun shall no more... uh, The sun shall no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give thee light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God 
thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Now we've explained before that part of the things with the millennial kingdom, the resetting of the Garden of Eden, is that the light's going to work differently. That we believe that there's a biblical canopy and because of it having the semi-metallic properties that it becomes fiber optic, that we believe that there's no more night. And the Bible speaks about in the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, some other places. But you know more important than the sun and the moon is that Jesus Christ is going to be there and his glory is going to light up the place. You know, we're entering into a winter time in Wisconsin when the sun is a rarity. That when the sun is out, people are cheering and talking about it. At least we got the sun today. I heard many people talking about that conversation today. The sun is out. Everyone's excited. You know, there's a lot of people who are affected. Their moods are affected by the lack of sun. That when you have so many gray days, it affects our mood. It affects how we feel. It, it causes an actual chemical problem inside of our body. But let me tell you the good news in the millennial kingdom. Is that you don't have to worry about whether the sun's out. Because as long as the S-O-N is out, that's Jesus. You'll have the light. And that you don't have to worry about darkness anymore. Not only because of the physical conditions... But more importantly, because Jesus Christ himself will be on this earth full of his glory. And he shall be the light of the world. And that we, that's all we need is the S-O-N light, the sunlight, the light that comes from Jesus. Oh, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You know, the Bible describes this in several different passages. If you don't mind, let's just look at one. The book of Isaiah chapter 30. Again, you notice in the last couple of messages, we spent a lot of time in Isaiah, passage after passage, because once again, the book of Isaiah speaks quite a bit about Jesus Christ, earthly reign as king, and the earth's uh, response to Jesus Christ on this earth as king. Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 30, and notice with me in verse number 26, Isaiah 30 and verse 26 Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days. And in the day of the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. Once again, it's just describing that light is going to be a little bit different in the millennial kingdom and that you'll have no reason to feel, fear the darkness anymore because light is going to work differently. Again, it's just a response. And how this affects us is a wonderful thing. Because again, we don't have to worry about those cloudy days. We don't have to worry about big stretches of seasons where the clouds cover it. And it's always gray and misty and no sunlight. Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about depression because of the lack of sun? It won't affect your mood anymore. What a wonderful place that millennial kingdom is going to be. Turn with me once again back. To the book of Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And we're again describing more conditions of the millennial kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 60. We see something else. <laughs> In verse number 21. There's actually a couple different principles. That we could draw from this. The first thing I'd like to point out. As is a little bit of a stretch from verse 21. But 
I want to get it inside to explain the millennial kingdom, is that it will be a place with a unified language. It will be a place with a unified language. Notice again in verse number 21. Thy people shall be all righteous, and they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of the planting, the work of thy hands, that I, this is the Lord, may be glorified. Now, what it's going to talk about, and we're going to talk about it as another point in just a second, that it's going to be a place of unified worship. But part of the unification is that there will be a unified language. Now, I know it's a little bit of a stretch in this passage, but it's not a stretch where the Bible declares it. Look with me in the book of Zephaniah. The book of Zephaniah, chapter 3. Now, Zephaniah is inside of the minor prophet section. If you hit the book of Haggai, you've hit just a little bit too far. But the book of Zephaniah, if you're going to go backwards, you go from Matthew to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah. And so Zephaniah chapter number three. Zephaniah chapter number three. And notice with me in verse number nine. Zephaniah chapter three and verse nine. For then will I turn the people a pure language that they may also call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Notice that phrase, a pure language. This carries the idea that everyone is going to be down to one language. Everyone's going to speak the same language. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing that you don't have to have misunderstandings because people don't speak your same language? We understand that some people even speak the a different part of English, Southern English is different from y'all's Yankee English, and that we use different words. And so you, the different nomenclature, the different uh, uh, accents, the different phrases, and that we don't have to worry about a miscommunication of language because everyone's going to be on a unified language. Everyone's going to speak one language. Now, what language is this going to be? Well, this is a supposition, but I believe we could prove a case for it. But that language would be Hebrew. And so you don't have to worry about taking those Hebrew classes. You're going to automatically know Hebrew in the millennial kingdom. And you'll be able to understand Hebrew and speak Hebrew, write Hebrew, communicate in Hebrew. And what a wonderful thing. Now, some people have done some research. If you're interested in such a thing, there's a good book called The Origin of Speeches. That's uh, not to be confused with a different book with a similar title, but Origin of Speeches, where some people who are linguists actually take the time to explore languages and see that we do have a common core language that comes from the book of he comes from Hebrew. And even studying how Hebrew language is used, if you go to the book of Acts and you could see when God speaks in Hebrew, everyone be quiet and everyone, there's something about that language that everyone stops. When the apostle Paul takes time and he speaks in the Hebrew language, everyone stops. There's something about that language. But regardless, it is our belief that the book, that the language of Hebrew will be the unified language that all of us speak. If you might remember that a story in the book of Genesis chapter number 11 about the Tower of Babel and that everyone had a unified language and that they were using it to uh, build a tower in rebellion to God and God came down and he divided the languages. 
Well, what is the language that everyone spoke before he divided the language? Many people do believe it's Hebrew. So Hebrew was the language that they started off with. And it's the language we're going to end up with. Again, some of that is supposition. But there's a good case for that supposition. Regardless, we will have one language. And that we don't have to press one for English and two for Spanish and three for German and anything like that. Everyone will be on the same language. Will help, And it will help us to have a unified worship. Which is the next point. That as we go back to the book of Isaiah chapter number 60. And we're explaining the different conditions of the millennial kingdom. That it will be a place of unified language. But it will also be a place of unified worship. That everyone will worship God together the way that God intended it to be. That we don't have to have even a miscommunication of worship. Isn't it a true thing that we have problems today? Because people don't agree on how we're supposed to worship. Some people say, well, Sunday morning's good for me. Some people say, well, I could go out to the tree and worship God. Some people say, well, I don't have to be here on church. Well, some people say, well, I have to go to the mosque. I have to go to the temple. I have to go to the synagogue. I have to do this. Isn't there a lot of problems about worshiping God on how to worship God? Well, the good thing in the millennial kingdom is that we won't have any of that. Everyone will worship God according to the way that God wanted to be worshiped. If you don't mind... Notice with that in verse number 20. And then we're going to look at several different passages that back up exactly what I said. But notice with me in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 21. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified or worshipped. Let's look in the Bible and let's see a couple passages that say about this unified worship. Notice with me first of all in Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 and we can see this idea of a unified worship that every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But everyone will also worship God together or in unity the same way that God that intended it to be. Notice with me Isaiah 45 and verse number 23. Isaiah 45 and verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That, every, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Here again is the idea that every knee is going to bow to God. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice with me in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Watching this principle that everyone is going to worship God together in unity. Meaning the same way. Isaiah 52. Notice with me in verse 7. Isaiah 52 in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. That publisheth peace. And bringeth good tidings of good that publisheth salvation that saith unto Zion thy God reigneth the watchmen shall lift up their voice with a voice together they shall sing for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again to Zion break forth into joy sing together 
ye waste of places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people when he shall redeem Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Here we're seeing the idea that people are worshiping together. That people are worshiping eye to eye. Meaning they're agreeing together. They're all seeing it. It's not, well, It's this is from my perspective. And this is how I see it. And this is how I feel it should be done. But everyone will have a unity, eye to eye, saying, let's worship God. And they'll be worshiping God together in unity in the same way, the way that God intended it to be. Notice with me in Isaiah 66. We're going to look at a couple different passages trying to drive home this point. But when this doesn't this change everything about society if everyone worships God the same way? Isn't there a lot less confusion? Isn't there a lot less friction because of differences of opinion of how we're supposed to worship God? You know, even people in church sometimes disagree with each other on how we're supposed to worship God. But wouldn't it be wonderful in the millennial kingdom? You don't have to worry about that. You won't have that friction. Notice with me in Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, and notice with me in verse 17. Isaiah 66, starting at verse 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the mist, eating Swine's flesh and in the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape unto the nations to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, that draw the bow and Tuba. And Javan into the isles afar off, and have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory unto the Gentiles, and they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all the nations of the horses and the chariots, and in the litters, and upon the mules, and upon the swift beasts. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will take of them for priests and Levites, saith the Lord. As for the new heavens and new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord. So shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 66, what it's saying is that God is going to make sure that the Gentiles, by the way, that's us, are going to be able to hear the salvation. And in the millennial kingdom, all of those Gentiles who got saved are going to worship together next to the Jewish people and all flesh will glorify God and worship God and praise his name. Well, you know, this isn't just an Old Testament doctrine. Notice with me in the book of Revelation. And we can see this in our future as it is declared in the book of Revelation chapter 5. In the book of Revelation chapter 5. Now in Revelation chapter 5. This happens right after the rapture as the tribulation begins. And it's giving a glimpse of heaven. 
And it's saying, let's show you a little bit what heaven is going to be like. Let's show you a little bit more that before the millennial kingdom starts, already this unification and who is going to be there worshiping God. Notice with me in the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and notice with me in verse 9. Revelation 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God. By thy blood. Notice this. Out of every kindred. And tongue. And people. And nation. And has made us. Unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands. And all of these thousands of thousands, all of these millions of people of every kindred, of every tongue, of every nation, of every blood. What are they saying? In one voice, in one praise, verse number 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing. And honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and ever. Now wouldn't that be an amazing service. Where you have millions and millions. All the ones in heaven. All the ones on earth. All the ones scattered abroad. In one voice saying. Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and riches and power and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear? Uh, wouldn't it be amazing that we're a part of that? And to be able to worship God in unity without fighting, saying, well, uh, you said the word wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. But we'll all be worshiping God. And we won't have that friction of other people disagreeing with us. Because we'll see God say, God, how do you want us to worship you? And it will be natural what God plugs in. What an amazing place the millennial kingdom will be. Well, if you don't mind, look back with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And let's see some even more conditions. Now, again, we're not talking about the natural conditions of the millennial kingdom. We've already hit that in the last previous messages. But this message, what we're doing, is talking about the conditions of the millennial kingdom as it deals with society, as it deals with us as people, as it deals with the peace and the prosperity that we are going to have in the millennial kingdom because because Jesus Christ is there in our midst. Notice with me in Isaiah 66 and verse number 22. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. And what we see that it will be a place where people live a thousand years. It will be a place where people live a thousand years. Notice with me in verse 22. A little one shall be 
overcome a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Now, here what it's referring to is that from one person, they are going to develop into a nation. They're going to have children, and they're going to have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and they're going to produce a nation out of that one person. We understand, and we've already explained before, that during the millennial kingdom, you're going to have those with redeemed bodies. Those are us who died before, who uh, were either died before the rapture or were raptured up. But we're getting brand new bodies that cannot produce children. However, during the tribulation, there are going to be many people who got saved and lived through the tribulation, and they are going to be able to produce children. And because of the conditions of the millennial kingdom that the Garden of Eden conditions are going to set up. And you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be born and not a lot of people dying. And people are going to live for a thousand years. And by the way, how many kids can you have in a thousand years time if you're able? Probably quite a bit, right? And that's what it's speaking about here. But let's also cover the idea that people are going to live a thousand years. We're not going to turn there because we've hit this passage over and over. But Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 6, it uses that phrase a thousand years over and over. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And so when God says a thousand years six times in seven verses, how, many, how long do I think God says we're going to live? A thousand years. Notice, if you don't mind, another passage, though, that deals with this idea. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. And notice with me in verse 20. Isaiah 65 and verse number 20. Isaiah 65 and verse 20. Notice this. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath filled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now here it's using a lot of ages and stuff, but notice this key phrase, the child shall die a hundred years old. Now what is that referring to? Well, it's a comparison. If you can live a thousand years old, what is someone who's less than a hundred to you? A child, right? A young whippersnapper. Man, you're not even old enough to have kids yet at 100 years old. If you notice, you don't have to turn there, but when you go back and study Genesis, that some people were 300 years old before they started having kids. I mean, you had to mature before you were able to have kids. I mean, you had to wait a little while, make sure that you're ready to handle it, manage it, right? How many of you think you would have a lot more wisdom if you had kids when you were 100 years old rather than however old you were at? You understand that... In the millennial kingdom, that because you're going to live a thousand years, a hundred years is nothing. I meant, oh, good luck finally graduating high school. You're still a little young whippersnapper. Man, you're still trying to learn about life. But again, the comparison of ages at that time, because you live a thousand years, it's going to be a time where people will live a thousand years. If you don't mind, I'd like to hit one last thing and then we'll draw an application. But book back to the book of Isaiah chapter 60. Now, doesn't it sound like a wonderful place? I mean, we're not talking about just how wonderful it's going to be because of Garden of Eden conditions or how great the environment's going to be. But dealing with us as a society, it's going to be a place without oppression. It'll be free of oppression. It'll be a place of 
economic prosperity. It will be a place with the increase of light. It will be a place with a unified language. It will be a place with unified worship. It will be a place where people will live a thousand years. But it will also be a place with the presence of God. It will also be a place with the presence of God. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 60. And notice with me a couple different uh, passages and verses. Verse number 14 at the end where it says, And they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Hey, you know what that is? That's the group of people that God lives in the midst of them. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it? That's the group of people where God lives in the midst of them. Notice with me in verse 16 at the very end of it. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. Here it's saying, who's there? God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. You know what really makes the Millennial Kingdom worth going there? It's because God is there. Because God's presence is going to be there. Oh, we get to be there with Jesus. More important than going to the Garden of Eden conditions. More important than the peace and the prosperity. Is that God himself will dwell among us. He'll live there. You'll get to see him. You'll get to visit him. You'll get to be with him. Notice if you don't mind the book of Zechariah chapter 2. As it speaks about this too. Zechariah again is in the minor prophet section. Zechariah chapter 2. So if you were in the New Testament, Matthew, and then go back, Malachi, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. And notice with me starting at verse 10. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come... And I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I shall dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Again, we see that Jerusalem's going to be the capital, but Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, will be in his redeemed body, glorified body, will live on this earth and live in the midst of us. He's not going to be a God that's a far away. He's not going to be a God that we have to believe on by faith. But he's a God that we can see by sight. And we get to see him. We get to talk to him. We get to make an appointment to be with him. He's going to give us instructions. God is going to be there in our midst. What a wonderful place that will be. So someone may say, well, this sounds good. But how does this affect me? I meant that's a long ways away. I've got to survive in this world now. How does knowing that God is going to be there in the millennial kingdom, how does that affect me? Well, we understand if we were going to hit a salvation message, we could talk about that heaven's a perfect place, but we're not perfect people. But we're not talking about a salvation message tonight. We're talking to born-again people, people who have said that they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. So let's make the message applicable to us. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 John chapter 3, and let's see what the Bible says about this. 
knowing that one day we are going to stand before God and dwell with God, how does that affect me here and now? Notice with me in the book of 1 John chapter 3, and let's see as the Bible answers this question. 1 John chapter 3, and notice with me in verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Verse number two speaks about this. Beloved, we are the sons of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. And it doth not appear what we shall be. Meaning, we don't know what we're going to be when we get our redeemed body. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know if we're going to see all kinds of different colors or experience different smells. We don't know what it is to smell the color purple. Can you imagine? We don't know how our redeemed body is going to work. We don't know how it's all going to function, how it's all going to be amazing, how some of you are looking forward to seeing what pink feels like. We don't know how it's going to work out. But we do know this, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Meaning we're going to have redeemed bodies so we could dwell with him. For we shall see him as he is. When is that? We're going to see that in the millennial kingdom. He's going to dwell with us. We're going to see him as he is. Not in a, uh, uh, as God robed in flesh. We're going to see him glorified living with us. Now verse number three. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So think about this. One day you're going to have a redeemed body that can no longer sin. One day you're going to stand in the presence of God and dwell with him. If you know that one day you're going to be perfect, one day you're going to have a perfect body, why not start practicing towards that now? Knowing that one day I'm going to stand before the presence of God and be sinless, we understand we can't live sinless, but you can't live that as excuse. Some people use the excuse, well, nobody's perfect, as if that explains away why we continue to sin. Knowing that one day I'm going to stand before him should make me purify myself or sin less and less and less. That should be the desire. That should be something inside of me, knowing that I'm going to stand before my Lord and Savior and dwell with him. The Bible continues with the same thought. Notice with me in the book of Second Peter. If you're in the book of First John, turn the other direction. Two pages for me. Book of Second Peter, chapter three. The book of Second Peter, chapter three. And notice again as the apostle Peter deals with this same subject. We're going to stand before God. How does this affect my life here and now? The book of Second Peter chapter 3. And notice with me in verse 11. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be 
in all holy conversation and godliness. Verse 11 is pretty key. Seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved. Our world is going to be different. This world is actually going to get blown away one day. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation? The word conversation carries the idea of behavior and conduct and in godliness. Knowing that one day this earth is not going to be like this forever. It's going to be changed. I'm going to stand before God. How should I live my life here and now? Knowing that God is going to be there. I should change. I should live holy life. I should live a life that's pleasing to him. Verse number 12. Looking for and hasten unto the coming day of God. When the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. And the elements shall melt away with fervent heat. None, nevertheless we according to his promise. Look for a new heavens, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. That we should be living our life now, trying to strive to live without spot, to try to live our life without blame, being blameless. Notice as it goes on. Verse number 15, and account that long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. What the, he's talking about, you need to be steadfast. You don't need to worry about what other people try to lead you astray. You need to be trying to live your life the best you can for the Lord and striving for it. Don't try to let anyone deceive you. Well, don't worry about that. You can get away with that. You know, once you start stepping away from the Lord, it's easier to step away. Stay steadfast. Stay where God has you. Stay consistent, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do? Grow in grace and grow of our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bring it down. One day we're going to live with him for a thousand years on this earth. What should we be doing now? Watching our behavior. Be steadfast and grow in grace, but also in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make it specific to us. Do you know more about Jesus than what you did last, this time last year? Are you growing in grace? Are you learning more about him? Do you know more about Jesus than what you did this time last month? Are you growing in the knowledge of him? You see, we should be ever learning, always learning, always striving forward. There's more to know. One of the great things about our God is that he is both knowable and unknowable. Think about that. He is knowable and unknowable. What does that mean? That we have the ability to learn about God. We can know things about God. But he's also unknowable, meaning that you can never know enough about God. You can never know everything about God. 
You may have your favorite movie that you can quote every single line, but you can't do that with God. You can never get to the place where you know everything about him. It is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. While we're in this life, you should always be pursuing after him, learning after him, studying him, trying to strive more, seeking after him. That when you open up your Bible to read it on a daily basis, you shouldn't be reading your Bible to check it off a list. You should be reading your Bible saying, God, I want to know more about you today. And he will show you. God promises that if you seek, you shall find him. That all you have to do is say, God, I want to find you. And he says, here I am. God, let me learn something more about you today. Here you go. Strive for him. Keep learning after him. Chase after him. That's how we should be living our life. Is the never ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. One day we will live with him. But until that day. We should be chasing after him. So how is your pursuit of Jesus Christ going? Are you satisfied with the amount of Jesus that you know now? Are you hungry for more? Are you still striving to learn more, more about Jesus? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.